0: This episode is brought to you by Harry's.com, where you can get high-quality shaving products for about half the price of name-brand razors. As a special holiday offer, new and returning customers can get five dollars off your order when you use the offer code BestHoliday. That's all one word. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast, with clips today from the Jimmy Dore Show, CounterSpin, The Majority Report, The Tom Hartman Program, Mumia Abu Jamal, The Young Turks, and The Rachel Maddow Show.
1: You know, you turn on any Sunday news show and it's 90% conservative. Corporate mouthpieces or military people fulfilling their Sunday morning pledge to give voice to the wealthy and powerful. The media is corporate, not liberal. They serve the corporate interests first, last, and in the middle. The news is funded by advertisers, corporations like Walmart, the drug companies, Citigroup, and Boeing. Those are the people for whom the news is really prepared. Yes, the very people the newsman is supposed to be investigating are actually the ones funding his investigation. More accurately, they are funding the media's non-investigation. Banks, defense contractors, and multinational corporations pulling the purse strings of the news. Sounds like a regular liberal conspiratorial plot to me. Yeah, the news media is liberal and being brought to you by multinational corporations, defense contractors, and oil giants. (laughs) Yeah, but they've done studies that show most people in the news voted for the Democrat last election. So it's liberal. Oh, sure, if you don't vote for an obvious lunatic, then that proves liberal bias in the media. It never crosses their minds that maybe John McCain and Sarah Palin were horrible candidates. And ditto for Mitt Romney and Paul Ryan. And that maybe we take a cue from the voting habits of the most informed people in the country instead of dismiss them because it doesn't line up with uninformed opinions formed by internalizing corporate talking points constantly repeated and rarely debunked in the liberal media. Here's a typical Sunday news show panel getting ready to express views of the regular American citizen. Let's meet our powerhouse roundtable. George Will, Jonathan Carl, General Wesley Clark, Gwen Ifill, and Liz Cheney. That was from, that was from ABC's This Week with George Snuffleupagus. So let's just go through the panel. That's a conservative journalist, a conservative reporter, a guy from the Pentagon, an African-American ardent defender of the status quo, badly playing the role of liberal, and Liz Cheney. <laughs> well, you could get a better cross-section of America if you didn't try. <laughs> sure, that's my voice, if my voice is that of a corporate sonographer, millionaire conservative, or a defense contractor. But if you're a part of the other 95% of the American electorate, sit back and enjoy the commercial. The
2: official-
3: In a recent interview with Media Matters, NBC Meet the Press host Chuck Todd was asked about diversity on the show, where 62% of guests are white men. Todd insisted he was trying, but argued that in some sense it's not up to him. Quote, I can't control sometimes the fact that 90% of the generals and the military experts out there, you know what I mean? Some of this stuff is out of your control. At the end of the day, you want to put the best people on. You want to put the best, smartest people on, close quote. Well, where to start? Maybe with the assumption that if you're debating war, you just have to bring on the generals, who just happen to be white guys. It's inconceivable, then, to talk about war with regional experts, international lawyers, or even, dare we say, peace advocates. Then there's the notion that while it might be nice to include the voices of women or people of color, that conflicts with your main goal to invite the best, smartest people. It's a sad line, but hardly new. After FAIR criticized the top-down bias of the PBS NewsHour, executive producer Linda Winslow said, quote, FAIR seems to be accusing us of covering the people who make decisions that affect people's lives, many of whom work in government, the military, or corporate America. That's what we do. We're a news program, and that's who makes news, close quote. So it comes down to how you define news. If all it means is what people in power say and do, then I guess there's no escaping the dominance of white men. But imagine if your definition included people outside of power who are still affected by and maybe even critical of it. Maybe you'd discover that some of those folks are smart too.
2: do it
4: One of the things that happens after an election, after this, the Democrats have lost so badly, and and you have uh, we just read uh, what the uh, Third Way's statement was. Third Way being the so-called centrist uh, Democrats, when in fact they're not particularly centrist; they're uh, really just more corporatist. Where they came out and said that they lost a lot of their favorite candidates last night, whereas like folks like Franken more left-leaning, Merkley, who months and months ago, uh, people anticipated would have uh, much trouble in this election, did quite well. And so the message, the obvious message there, when you see across the country a sweep for uh, uh, minimum wage referendums and uh, legalizing of marijuana referendums and paid sick leave referendums, and fracking, banning of fracking referendums, on and on across the board. When you see this, the message is quite clear. Democrats have to become more populist, more liberal, more progressive. Unless, of course, you're an establishment media figure, and in that instance, the message is always, have <laughs> got to tack more to the right. Here's Chris Matthews talking with Gene Robertson on
5: MSNBC last night. Their interest divide. If all Reed wants to do is what McConnell wanted to do was get it back. Uh-huh. If all yeah. he wants to right. do is get it back, people argue, I've read this, mm-hmm. that then you don't want to pass anything. Don't let Kelly Ayotte pass, get any credit. Well, exactly. And, be, and of course he can do that. That's of course, more and more he, nothingness for of, the American right. people.
6: And so if Harry Reid is a minority leader, he can
5: block everything just like Mitch McConnell And did. what can the president do to challenge that? And make sure so we got to get something done, Harry. I'm sorry about losing the New Hampshire seat yeah. maybe in two years. Mm-hmm. It's better to get something done. Yeah, well, he's got
6: to say that. And he's got to say it loud. And he's got to say it often. And he's got to, you know... Who wins?
5: Well, look, you see, tough, to tough enough to take on the Senate leadership and the House leadership and say, you know, because, you know, Nancy Pelosi has been a good team player, but you got to mm-hmm. stop being a little hard left here. And we got to get some things done here. Well, he's he's
4: got to stop being a little hard left here. In other words, let's pass some awful legislation so that we can say we passed some legislation. Later in the program, just shortly after that, Chris Hayes made uh, a great point, saying, why do you think the Republicans are going to want to do anything? Why do you think they're going to have any type of positive agenda? Yes, they'll chip away at EPA regulations. Yes, they'll chip away at Dodd-Frank. They'll try and chip away at the Affordable Care Act but why in the world would anyone who has watched politics for the past 15 years, years—not never mind the past six, assume that the Republicans who have now retaken the House and the Senate by doing nothing, by doing nothing but obstructing, Why would anyone think that they're going to change their strategy and their tactics now? Any deal they make with Obama is still a deal they're making with Obama. How many Republicans were primaried who were accused of being, of making deals with Obama? All of them!
7: People got primaried for saying nice things about Obama. Like, he's a nice guy.
4: Chris Christie is going on tour now looking for any excuse he can to criticize Obama because he hugged him during Hurricane Sandy. It is complete political ignorance, naivete at best to say the Republicans have followed a strategy that has been wildly successful for them, and now they're going to do something different. Why would they? They've run against Obama, and they won big. They're going to continue to run against Obama. This is not to excuse the complete absence of an agenda from the Democrats. Or, if you like, an agenda by the establishment Democrats that runs contrary to the interests of most voters, however you want to express that. No, it simply says, this is an analysis of what Republican strategy is. And they're going to remain just as obstructionist. And frankly, from my perspective, that's still our best hope. Because any deal that President Obama is going to make with them is going to be completely antithetical in my estimation to any policy that's going to help this country. And To the extent that President Obama wants to do something like that, all you need to do is go back and look at the way that people talk about Clinton's welfare reform as if this was a successful public policy, which it was not. Dismal failure that became extremely clear during the financial crisis, the economic crisis. You can see how that still receives praise. And why President Obama would look and see any deal I can cut with Republicans is going to help my legacy, because you've got people like Chris Matthews out there who's going to say he's got something done. Ed Rendell is going to praise me. The third Way is going to praise me. Every member of the establishment will praise me.
0: is the maker of my new favorite shaving products, and the news today is that they have a special winter holiday offer to go along with their new limited edition Winter Winston Razor Set. What's doubly exciting is that the special offer is not just for new customers. Whether you're already a loyal Harry's user, or you're trying them out for the first time, you can use the offer code BESTHOLIDAY, all one word, to get $5 off your purchase. Now, aside from their great razors that give me literally the best shave I've ever had at the lowest price I've ever paid, they also just came out with new shaving cream and aftershave lotions that I've been trying, and the results have been pretty definitive. This is completely true. Now, each day I shave, my girlfriend Amanda gets excited just because she likes the smell of the lotion so much, and she takes every opportunity for the rest of the day just to smell my face. So with an endorsement like that, it is basically a foregone conclusion that I am now committed to Harry's lotions in addition to their blades. So go check out what they have to offer at Harrys.com, including their new Winter Winston razor, which you can get either by itself or as part of a starter set. You can even get it engraved and delivered in a premium box, perfect for gifting. And don't forget, new and returning customers can use the offer code BESTHOLIDAY, all one word, to save $5 off your purchase and that also lets them know that you're supporting this show at the same time.
2: I have to celebrate you, baby. I have to praise you like I should.
7: How does a nation exist if it doesn't have an informed citizenry? This, is, this was a, a question that Thomas Jefferson asked and, and, and really laid out. You know? he, I mean, it was one of the reasons why he, he uh, started the University of Virginia. After he, was, after he left the White House in, in 1809, and you know, spent the next decade or so starting a free college so that there would be an informed and educated electorate. It was the thing that in uh, 1832 or 36, in the 1830s, when uh, Alexis de Tocqueville came to the United States from France and, and uh, ended up writing Democracy in America," his, his kind of travelogue. The thing that he was so amazed about Americans is how well informed they were. That the average farmer knew about French politics. There was demand for news. Now you could argue that in times of great change, there's demand for news, and people stepped in to meet that demand. There were a lot, a lot, you know, a lot of newspapers, and they carried these stories. But the news was not regulated by the government there was no demand that you actually had to produce news there were newspapers that were just rags there were newspapers that were propaganda pieces there were newspapers you know there were pro slavery and anti slavery newspapers there were there were uh, uh, you know pro i was going to say democracy but it's 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 a it's such a such a shaky term but there were there were basically the federalists and the anti-federalists back then what ultimately became the federalists and the Democratic-Republicans, today called the Democratic Party. And then it became the Democratic-Republicans and it changed their name to the Democrats and the Federalists died out and they became the Whigs. But throughout that period of time, you had newspapers that were clearly in one camp or the other. Sort of like Fox News, clearly in one camp, MSNBC clearly in another. We survived. We figured out what was going on. So, you know, on the one hand, I look at, the and and I, I, I want to get Jeff Cohen on. I'm hoping he'll be available at the bottom of the hour. He wrote this book, Cable News Confidential, some years ago. He used to work at uh, MSNBC. Was it was on the air on MSNBC. Uh, was the executive producer of the Phil Donahue show. In fact, he was here in our studio a couple of weeks ago with Phil Donahue. Actually, it was Norman Solomon who was with Phil Donahue. But I mean, in any case, uh, 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 Jeff and, and Norman were here in town. Uh, had dinner with him. In fact, about a month ago. we had in the united states from the 1930s until 1987 a requirement that news actually be news it was not uh, enforced much by the government it was it was uh, you know the the industry was all about kind of self-regulation at that point in time those of you who are old enough to remember will know what I'm talking about when I lay this out. Those of you who aren't, hopefully, you'll be enlightened by this. But from the from the 20s or the 30s, it was somewhere between 1927 and 1935. The Federal Communications Commission came into being. Originally, there was the the Red Network and the Blue Network, and you know they they ultimately became other things. And then TV came along in the 50s and 60s, and on and on it went. And the idea was, if you're using our airwaves, the airwaves are part of the commons. They're part of the public property. If you're using the airwaves to do anything, to play polka music, to, to play, to play, uh, uh, Father Coughlin's rants, these were the things that were big back in the thirties, to play country music, to play, Fill in the blank. If you're using the public airwaves, the price you pay for that public bandwidth, which is regulated and administered by the government, by we the people, by the commons, and, and that, by the way, came into place in the 19-teens and 1920s out of necessity because stations were just stepping all over each other, and somebody had to step in and say, okay, you have that bandwidth, you have this bandwidth, you can't interfere with each other, you know, just make it a friendly place for consumers. The price that you paid was that you had to run news. You had to do what was called programming in the public interest. And there was this doctrine in the FCC called the Fairness Doctrine, which President Obama did away with last year, or this year, and which Ronald Reagan stopped enforcing in 1987. So it really hasn't been around since 87. And the Fairness Doctrine didn't say, if you have an hour of liberals yet, have they have an hour of conservatives. I know that you know Rush Limbaugh would like you to believe that. didn't say that. What it said was, if you want to have your license renewed every year, you have to prove your pro- programming in the public interest. And the way that stations did this is they picked up news, typically from networks, and they ran it at the top of the hour, sometimes at the top and the bottom of the hour. The TV stations ran it for an hour to start out primetime every night, 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock. And the networks lost money on this. But arguably, we were well informed. And having worked in news back in the 1970s, I can tell you I could have been fired had I been seen talking To salespeople at the radio station I worked at. It was like there was this absolute firewall between revenue and news. That all changed in 87 when Reagan stopped the enforcement of the Fairness Act.
8: Remember Benghazi? The 2012 attack on the U.S. diplomatic compound in Libya dominated headlines and cable news shows for a long time. It was the single most talked about international policy issue in the 2012 presidential debates. Now, a two-year investigation by the Republican-controlled House Intelligence Committee has concluded that the CIA and the military acted properly in responding to the attack. Though there was some miscommunication by intelligence analysts in the immediate aftermath, the investigation determined there was, quote, no intelligence failure, no delay in sending a CIA rescue team, no missed opportunity for a military rescue, and no evidence the CIA was covertly shipping arms from Libya to Syria. Close quote. That quote is from the AP story on the report, which described it as, quote, debunking a series of persistent allegations hinting at dark conspiracies, close quote. No one loved those conspiracies more than the Fox News channel. One of the network's regulars said that Hillary Clinton herself killed those Americans. So, you might wonder, how is Fox News handling the committee's new findings? The website Daily Coast looked into it and found what you'd expect. Fox devoted less than 30 seconds, concentrated on the initial miscommunication about the attack's origins, without noting that it came from intelligence analysts, not Susan Rice or Hillary Clinton. The network's online article had the head-scratching headline, CIA gathered intelligence on weapons to Syria, Benghazi report and led with the fact that right-wing Senator Lindsey Graham wants to expand the investigation. The main findings, as reported matter-of-factly by AP, NPR, CNN, even the Wall Street Journal, were nowhere to be found. As the Daily Coast put it, it's not news, it's Fox News. When you decide to break the
2: rules Cause I just heard some real bad news News. I played it off and act like I knew. Let me ask you how long have you known, dude? You played it off and act like he's brand new. When you decide to break the rules, cause I deserve some real bad news.
9: A nation in fear. Look at the United States. Really? Look at it, from north to south, east to west, from sea to shining sea, and you'll see the frenzy of fear, fear of Ebola, fear of ISIS, fear of crime, fear of fear. The reason? Well, fear sells. It sells papers, attracts viewers, and pulls listeners. The national media is a virtual fear industry. There used to be an old adage in TV news, if it bleeds, it bleeds. There is so much fear in this country that it can barely breathe. And for politicians, that's fine. For they know that fear is fuel, a power unto itself that can be ridden like a maddened steed to more power. Two nurses catch the Ebola virus, and this only because they weren't properly protected And schools are closed. Quarantine orders are issued. And sheer, unadulterated hysteria, hyped by ratings-hungry media, travels the land like a flood. Much of American history may be seen as frenzies of fear, which, once unleashed, drove social policies that often did more harm than that which was first feared. The fears of Salem ignited wars against so-called witches and monstrous tortures of women. The fears of black slave rebellions led to waves of repression and racist violence. The fear of the ability of drugs to expand minds led to the so-called war on drugs, which fed a prison industrial complex that swept millions into the biggest prison boom in history with little, if any, effect on drug usage fear, frenzy, fuels for media and politicians, and disaster. From a Imprisoned Nation, this is Mumia Abu-Jabal.
2: I'm scared to fly, I'm scared to crash, I'm scared to move on so I live in the past. I'm scared to fight, cause I'm scared to bleed, I'm scared to love, cause I'm scared he'll leave. I'm scared of drugs, I'm scared to drink, I'm scared to swim, cause I'm scared to sink, Learn because I'm scared of truth. Don't want to gain weight because I'm scared of food. Cool. scared to think that the label dropped me. I'm scared to think of my album flopping. This may sound silly, but it's true. So don't pretend it ain't.
1: So here's how Chris Matthews sees it.
5: Good evening, I'm Chris Matthews in Washington. This is Rotten Stuff, isn't it? The Republican effort to kill the black vote in state after state. Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, North Carolina, Florida, Texas. We can all see what they're doing. Believing they can't convert the African-American vote, they've decided to slaughter it. Early voting, shrink it down to nothing or kill it all together. Sunday voting, that souls to the polls thing, slam the door on it. Same-day registration, you got to be kidding. That's like putting down a welcome mat for African-American voters. Look, this is murder in broad daylight. One Republican big shot after another is telling us just exactly what they're up to. It's not about reform or making elections more honest. The one thing they're actually honest about, if you catch them at it, is motive. This whole thing is aimed at killing the African-American vote. Just listen.
1: So there you go. So right. Chris so Chris Matthews, Chris Matthews, by the way, who voted for George Bush and admits it, can see through this and has the gall- the balls to say it. Sure, right? Now because here's how it was ha- here's how it was reported on NBC News. Here we go.
10: Just two weeks or so before the midterm elections, the Supreme Court issued an order today allowing Texas to use a strict and controversial voter ID law that requires people going to the polls. To present photo identification wow. issued by a government agency, we we'll get more on this tonight from NBC's Kristen Welker.
1: Now she says it's controversial. She doesn't say that. You know, of course, it's obviously discriminating, and it's gonna. It's obviously unconstitutional. All these things. He doesn't say that. He just throws it to the reporter.
11: Today's Supreme Court order clears the way for enforcement of a stringent new law in Texas, which means when early voting starts there on Monday, Texans will have to show one of seven forms of government-issued photo identification to cast a ballot.
1: Okay, okay, so she's just laying out the facts of the case, and now they bring on, they don't bring on an expert, they don't bring on a judge, they don't bring on a law professor, they talk to two regular people. One of them is a black guy who looks like Ted Lied. <laughs> He does. He looks like he could be your brother. He's got a goatee and everything. And um, he, he is. Uh, he says this. He says this.
12: Uh, I mean, I don't see it affecting anyone. I mean, it's basically they
7: want to make sure that you are the person you are.
1: So they bring out a black guy who doesn't understand the issue to get his inaccurate and unhelpful comments. <laughs> Why is someone with bad information being included in your news story? Because he said, well, I don't, here's what he says, here's what he said, let's hear it again what he said, I want to hear what he said.
12: I think it's a pretty good law, I mean, I don't see it affecting anyone.
1: He doesn't see it affecting anyone, we know that it's going to affect 600,000 people in Texas alone. 600,000 people in Texas alone are going to be excluded from voting because of this. So he's uninformed on the facts, (laughs) he doesn't even know the facts, so if you were a journalist... You would have explained that the guy you just gave a microphone to who spewed easily debunkable ideas was extremely misleading as the actual facts of the case contradict what he said. He's, in, he's uninformed and inaccurate, but they treat those ideas as just as valid as accurate ideas. Can, so can, can, I wonder why he thinks voter ID isn't a big problem. Where did he get that idea from? Maybe he watches the news. <laughs> yeah.
13: <laughs> can, can I just say, like, anytime you see... Uh, a man on the street thing about a serious issue—just dismiss that journalist right, right out of hand, because it, it their opinion means nothing, the, uh, no, less than nothing. If if, if if I wanted to know the opinion on a
1: factual issue from the man on the street, I'd go and ask one. I'm a man on the street. Yeah, I have but i have an opinion. I don't need someone else's man on the street. It's just as uninformed as I am. And by the way, not for
13: nothing, but you know who the man on the street they should interview is. Homeless guys, because homeless guys read the newspaper because they got nothing uh-huh. else to do. <laughs> My homeless guy is one of the best informed people I ever met.
1: So here is you, the you own, you own your own homeless guy. That's awesome. Oh, <laughs> just... <laughs> so here is the next person. So they put they do two men on the streets. That guy who was uninformed on the facts, who was black. So it makes it look like hey, a black guy's not a, he's, he's not, not upset. If it's okay it. with him. It must be okay. Must be okay, right? So then they have a white woman, and she comes on.
7: I mean, it's basically they want to make sure that you are the person you are.
11: I think it is a partisan uh, trick to try and prevent people from being able to vote. And I'm very, very much against
1: so they bring out a white, obviously a white liberal woman who sees through what this is. She mm-hmm. calls it out accurately, but they first had to put on the black guy who said she's wrong. So now we, I guess we'll never know.
13: Well, also it we'll makes her look paternalistic.
1: Yes, it does it does make her, her look, you're right. These, these two characters is a potential rom-com.
13: <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's also point out that... Uh this woman had access the the journalist, the journalist. in this had access to Alexis Nexus account she could easily have looked up very credible statistics on what this bill
1: would do yes so here what well, who are the who's who they didn't who is who they didn't interview they didn't include the opinions of, say, I don't know, conservative icon judge Richard Posner. You know, the Reagan-appointed judge. He was the judge who initially ruled in favor of voter ID in Indiana in 2008, but has ch- since changed his mind because now he says, quote, there is only one reason for imposing burdens on voting, and that is to discourage voting by persons likely to vote against the party responsible for imposing those burdens. Posner is by far the most widely cited legal scholar of the 20- 20th century, according to the Journal of Legal Studies. And he's a conservative and he was appointed by Ronald Reagan and he has some information that's pretty newsworthy and they don't include his opinion, but we did get the guy on the street who doesn't know a goddamn elbow from a hole in the ground. Thank God they stuck a microphone in his face so we could get some misinformation about the, because God forbid, they get they debunk the misinformation. God forbid. Or who else, you know who else they could have included in that? They, maybe the opinion of uh, Chris, Chris uh, Charlie Chris. Chris from Florida, the governor, he said the people that worked in Tallahassee felt that early voting was bad. I heard from Republicans around the state who were bold enough to share with me that you just handed the election to Obama when he okayed early voting. So too much voting is a bad thing in some people's eyes, right? They could have asked the Republican county chair in Ohio who said, I guess I really actually feel we shouldn't cohort We shouldn't corrupt that voting process to accommodate the urban read African-American voter turnout machine. He said that. So these are these people say that they they know exactly what they're doing. They're suppressing a certain percentage of the African-American vote. Those people's opinions don't get included in NBC's. Because NBC goes, ah, oh, some people say this, some people say that. What's the truth? I guess we'll never know. I guess we'll never also know. On also,
12: that, on that NBC uh, nightly news uh, is literally a 22-minute broadcast. So they have very little time to get anyone's opinion in, and they waste it on, on this guy on the street. You're
1: exactly right. So here's who, here, I'll, I'll give you the rest of the, here's the rest of her report on it. I'll give it, it's about a minute long.
11: Supporters of the law say it's necessary to prevent voter fraud. Texas Attorney General Republican Greg Abbott, who's running for governor, called it a legal and sensible way to protect the integrity of elections. But opponents argue there have only been two proven cases of voter fraud in the past decade in Texas and say the law is an attempt by Republicans to limit Democratic votes.
1: What's the truth? I guess we'll never know. <laughs> I guess we'll never know. The bol- They reported both sides. The Democrats say this. The Republicans say that. I guess we'll never know. They, they can't help. But report every story like this. This is what the Republicans say. This is what the Democrats say. Yeah, but can, did you do a little maybe journalism and investigate this and tell me what is the truth? Is this a partisan ploy to suppress the vote of minorities? Or is this really trying to protect the integrity of the voting? Is there any voting? Is there, is there any voter fraud that we have to worry about? Or isn't there any voter fraud that we have to worry about? Which is it, NBC News? I guess... We'll never know. There's a little bit more to this, so I want to be fair to NBC, so I'm going to play the whole thing. Minority
12: communities in Texas disproportionately don't have those forms of ID. Texas's voter ID law stands to disenfranchise over half a million registered Texas
6: voters.
11: The state argued in a Texas courtroom those numbers are overstated. So are
1: they overstated or aren't they overstated? I guess we'll never know. So they bring on a woman who tells us that those numbers are real. Then, they, then she just repeats talking points from Republicans that say those numbers are overstated. She doesn't do any investigation or journalism to find out if those numbers are real. She just gives you they say it real, they say it's not real. This is the classic. Hey, the Cubs played the Dodgers last night. Cubs said they won. Dodgers said they won. I guess we'll never know. <laughs> This, this is just a little bit more. To be fair, I'm going to play the whole thing.
11: Since 2011, more than a dozen states have passed voter ID laws championed by Republicans. Texas is one of eight states with the strictest laws requiring voters to show a government-issued photo ID to vote. While the impact may be minimal this cycle in Texas, where there are few I'm close older. races, it could be a different story elsewhere.
10: Given that voter ID laws uh, affect disproportionately a lot of poor and minority voters, that could end up hurting Democratic candidates if there is a tight race come November.
11: This is the fourth time in recent weeks the Supreme Court has weighed in on whether new election laws can be used in next month's crucial midterms. In each case, the court has essentially preserved the status quo. The court has yet to say whether these new laws are unconstitutional, a battle yet to come. Lester.
5: Kristen Walker, thanks. Okay, thanks.
1: Thanks for the
12: really... Only, uh, the only uh, accurate thing she said in that whole piece was Lester.
2: states, all the times, boys,
8: And finally, it's not hard to tell who won and who lost in the midterms. Republicans are firmly in control of Congress, and they picked up several key gubernatorial races as well. But who was the other winner? Corporate media. How's that? Well, as in any election cycle, those annoying, deceptive campaign commercials don't just benefit the candidate putting them on the air. Remember, they pay to put them on the air. And those checks, which could exceed $2 billion this year, flow to the TV and radio outlets that air them. So it's not at all a stretch to say that corporate media have a vested financial interest in the elections staying exactly the way they are. It's bad for democracy, sure, but it's great for business.
2: We are business.
10: The Pew Research Center uh, put together a really interesting uh, study on news and who do people trust the most and who they trust the least. So, first of all, uh, we go to a chart about who liberals trust the most and conservatives. And I think this is already very, very telling. So, the most liberal are the ones on the left, okay, which makes sense as you look down there. And they trust a great variety of sources NPR, PBS, BBC. It's interesting that all three of those are, you know, more. Government-run, uh, a little bit more neutral. Uh, New York Times, NBC News, ABC News, MSNBC, CBS, CNN, et cetera, right? And then you've got the mostly liberal crowd. They all still trust a bunch of news. Mixed is decent. Now, here's the interesting part. When you go to the mostly conservative, they only trust Fox News Channel. That's it. Okay, when you go to consistently conservative, that's even more conservative, on all the way to the right, they trust Fox News, Hannity, Limbaugh, and Glenn Beck also only conservative outlets. So they don't want to hear anything from neutral sources, objective sources, no interest. We only trust the propaganda given to us by the people that we already agree with. Now, you can say, hey, liberals have MSNBC on the list, for example. They do, but they also have plenty of things that are not at all progressive or opinionated or have an agenda in that sense. I know. Conservatives think the truth has an agenda well-known liberal bias. We know all about reality, right, as Colbert put it. So, but it's interesting how inclusive. But moderately conservative people, another interesting finding is that they're they're not even buying Rush Limbaugh, Glenn Beck, Sean Hannity. They're like, no, I don't really trust them. Fox News overall, yes, okay, but not those three. So they're only for the far right. Uh, As Pew Research Center explains here, notably four of the sources distrusted by majorities of consistent conservatives are among the most trusted sources overall so when you look at a chart of the things that conservatives trust the least those match up fairly well four out of five with the ones that the majority of Americans trust the most so they're like oh man if you really if you're getting your facts from there that I hate those facts I don't trust those so a lot of interesting things to learn from this study now who was trusted the most overall well only one source is more trusted than distrusted by all five ideological groups. That's the Wall Street Journal. Okay, credit to them. Now, the Wall Street Journal's editorial side is completely conservative and has been for a long time. Rupert Murdoch bought the paper. I think uh, it's not to begrudge any of the reporters, and they still do a lot of good reporting at the Wall Street Journal, and that's why they're trusted by the whole range of people. But by the nature of a conservative ownership and leadership, They've gotten a lot more leaks from conservative sides. So even in their paper, it's beginning to be a little bit more uh, Republican sources say, right? And of course, as with a lot of these publications, the Wall Street Journal is very pro establishment. So I don't consider it to be liberal at all. If anything, it's conservative. But nonetheless, the American people overall consider it to be objective. Good for them. Good. Credit where credit is due, okay? Um, now, On average, here's another finding, uh, consistent liberals, that's the people who are the most liberal, turn to more sources for news about politics and government than do those in other groups. So the most liberal people are the ones looking at the biggest variety of news. So they go to their NPR, they also go to their New York Times, they also go to CBS, CNN, etc. They want to find out what everybody is saying and then make up their own mind. Conservatives rush over to Fox News, what's my mind? What's in my mind? Tell me what's in my mind. Okay. Now look, that's literally in, in the data here. right? Now, uh, another interesting finding. While Fox News has a large audience overall, uh, the other outlets that consistent conservatives turn to do not have much reach beyond this conservative base. Fewer than 10% of digitally, digitally connected U.S. adults got news about government and politics from any of these sources in the previous week. So that goes to buttress what I've been saying for a long time on this show. Those conservatives that everybody saw about, Rush Limbaugh, Glenn Beck, they're tiny. They're tiny. Give Fox News credit. They're not tiny. They're significant. Okay? But all the other guys yelling in their radio, AM radio, they're yelling out of a cave, Hey, I'm Rush Limbaugh. Pay attention to me. Tiny. Tiny. And have no appeal outside of the far right. Okay, now. Uh, Let's look at the ideological composition of news sources and audiences. This is interesting as well, because here you see Fox News. Of course, a lot of conservatives are watching, but a lot of moderates and, and even mostly liberal people are watching as well. So the mixed category there is 37%. That's big. That's why it's important to point out how wrong Fox News is on a consistent basis. Because you think everybody got the memo. They didn't get the memo. They don't know necessarily that Fox News is propaganda. Some of the people who are watching who might be liberal or moderate do know and they watch it for entertainment. Now, look at Bill O'Reilly being a jackass, right? But a lot of people earnestly watch it like, oh, it says Fox News. Let me see what the news is. That's not news, okay? So that's why it's important to point out what it is. Now, Rush Limbaugh. Two things you uh, see from his slide here in terms of who listens to it. <laughs> Look at that. I mean, once you get beyond the hard right, almost nobody listens to Rush Limbaugh. He's not swinging any centrists, he's not affecting any elections. Nobody's saying like, "Oh, let me go to Rush Limbaugh and find out, you know, uh, if I should go one way or another." They know what Rush Limbaugh's about and and in that far right, he's got even then it's not that large an audience when you just saw Fox News that had a very large audience. But once you get beyond the far right, his audience is minuscule almost non-existent, okay? Now, here's another interesting one that leans in a different direction, and I'll tell you my interpretation of it. The Daily Show, okay? So the Daily Show's chart is more people watching than Rush Limbaugh, of course, even though, remember, they're just a half an hour a day, whereas Limbaugh is three hours every day, right? So they're much bigger, but they're very concentrated on the liberal side. Now, people might say, oh, yeah, that's because Daily Show is liberal, but I... If you watch The Daily Show on a consistent basis, yes, they're obviously progressives, but they are non-partisan. I mean, they will bash the Democrats, no question about it. They very much enjoy bashing the Democrats. And you could be a progressive and bash Democrats all day long, kind of what we do here on The Young Turks, right? So people get that. But to me, what I got out of that graph is, look at where the young people are, because The Daily Show audiences young, right? They're all liberals. So, all this talk about, oh yeah, Rush Limbaugh is ancient audience. Bill O'Reilly's average age of his audience, I never tire of saying this, is 72 years old. So, those guys have the conservatives. And programs like ours and the Young Turks Online is, over three quarters of our audience is under the age of 35. Okay, and we go to 75 million views a month, right? Daily Show is gigantic. Look at that. Their audience is what? uh, 60, 72% uh, liberal, right? So the young are on our side. The future is ours. Now, of course, as some people get older, sometimes they turn a little bit conservative. But overall, I'd much rather be on this side than on their side. You want to have the guys that are 72 years old and we have the guys who are 25 to 35 years old? (laughs) Good luck to you, brother. Your future does not look good. Now, finally when we go to the least trusted uh, news sites, this is also interesting. Now, there's one way of measuring this, and according to this metric, which is when you look at all the different groups, there's only one publication that, unfortunately, I think they do a good job overall, so I might not agree here, but one publication that did not have trust from any of the brackets, liberal, conservative, or moderate. That was BuzzFeed. I did not see that coming. Okay, so when you look at least trusted, BuzzFeed comes in number one by that measurement. Rush Limbaugh comes in number two. Glenn Beck comes in number three. Ed Schultz, who does a liberal show, comes in number four. And poor Al Jazeera America, who does such a, God, they try so hard to be objective, right? But people see Al Jazeera, they're like, yeah, no, no way, no way. Uh, Don't trust them. So I don't think that's merited at all either. Now, I get why they might not trust a liberal program, but Al Jazeera is not liberal. It's not pro-Arabic. It's not pro-Muslim. It's not pro-Middle East. It's called Al Jazeera. It's just an Arabic word. Look, I have no connection with them, right? And I don't work there. I'm just telling you what I think is the reality of the situation. Now, uh, if you looked at the metric, though, of who do the most amount of Americans trust the least, then BuzzFeed is not the overall limit. Number one. Rushland. Most busted name in news.
0: My goal with this show is to inform, inspire, and activate listeners to push for positive change. With the support of listeners, I've been able to expand what we do here and make the show better over time, and the only way to continue doing that, to grow and improve, is with your support. I don't need a giant pile of money to run this show. I just need a steady, dependable stream of 5 and $10 monthly donations from people like you. For signing up, you'll also get access to special bonus content, including some behind the scenes stuff and more of my comments if you believe in the mission of this show as much as I do please help it continue to grow and improve by becoming a member today details are on the membership page at belife.com thanks so much for your support
2: this, this has got to stop so we can
14: In 2010, conservative media posted online uh, this video of an official from the U.S. Department of Agriculture giving a speech to the NAACP. Uh, They said this was video evidence of racism from a federal appointee. Uh, They posted an edited excerpt of this speech by a USDA official named Shirley Sherrod. And in the edited excerpt that they posted, she appeared to describe how to discriminate against white people at the U.S. Department of Agriculture. How the government could favor black people and hurt white people on purpose. And conservative media posted it. Uh, The normal media picked up and ran with the story for a little while because it was making such a big noise on the right. Uh, Despite the woman's protest, that that was not at all what she had said in that speech. The agriculture department actually went ahead and fired her from her job on the basis of this tape that had been posted by conservative media. Turns out the excerpt that they posted of Shirley Sherrod talking about racial discrimination by the government was part of a long parable she was telling about why racial discrimination by the government is a terrible thing that should never be done. That was the point of her speech. It wasn't that she was saying government should discriminate. She was saying government should definitely not discriminate like this. (laughs) So once the the full tape was posted... Everybody was very embarrassed. The Department of Agriculture uh, rescinded firing her, offered her her old job back. Maybe you would like a better job. We're very sorry. There were lawsuits about this. There was a lot of hard feelings. Uh, groups that came out and initially criticized Shirley Sherrod based on what the conservative media said she did, they had to retract their criticism and uncriticize her. The NAACP, uh, they said that they, had been, they felt they had been snookered into criticizing her when the initial tape came out. They felt tricked. So that was 2010. Right before the 2012 election, there was a great one, uh, where the conservative media reported with huge fanfare and huge drama that Senator Bob Menendez of New Jersey had been caught, had been caught red-handed in a huge prostitution scandal in the Dominican Republic. And when I say caught red-handed, I mean caught red-handed. Conservative media found three women who said they all had sex with Senator Menendez for money themselves. I mean, this was a huge scandal that they turned up about Senator Menendez until the women... Uh, all said, actually, nah, no, they didn't actually have sex with Senator Bob Menendez for money. Somebody paid them to say that they did. But still, it was great for a really great day on the conservative blogs while everybody believed it for a second. Right after the 2012 election, this was a great one, uh, Wonket.com posted about this today, and I had forgotten about it until I saw their reference to it today. Uh, So the Bob Menendez thing was the lead-up to the 2012 election. Then right after the 2012 election, conservative media lost their minds over something that had happened in Florida, specifically in St. Lucie County, Florida, where something obviously went totally wrong, very obvious voter fraud in the 2012 election, stuffing the ballot box for President Obama. It was President Obama and the Democrats stealing the election in the swing state of Florida. And you want to know how they know it happened? It's because they had proof. They published proof. They had on the ground reporting that 140% voter turnout had been recorded in one Democratic leaning county. St. Lucie County had 140% voter turnout. How do you get 140% turnout? You can't have more people voting than are registered to vote in a county. That's crazy. That's obvious fraud. So that's how President Obama stole the election. 140%. Turns out what that actually was, was roughly 70% voter turnout. But the ballot was two pages. If you count each page as its own ballot, then it... Math is hard, Barbie. Last year, uh, the great one was the Friends of Hamas scandal. Chuck Hagel was going to be confirmed as defense secretary. There was a little Washington uh, kerfuffle over him turning in his financial disclosure statements uh, around the time of his confirmation. In the course of reporting on that kerfuffle, one reporter basically said sarcastically to a source... What, do you think he got paid by Friends of Hamas or something? And so then you get, in conservative media, sources say Chuck Hagel was paid by Friends of Hamas.
15: There was a report that came out last week, not confirmed yet, but we're
0: also not uh, denying it very vigorously, that one of the groups behind the speeches may have been an outfit called Friends of Hamas. Um, that is not going to be... That happen. has a ring to it, doesn't yeah. it?
3: But here's the problem. Patchy. With any of this, it, it, it is confirmed.
14: Friends, uh, an outfit, an outfit called Friends of Hamas. Friends of Hamas is not a thing that exists. The whole idea of Friends of Hamas was a joke that the conservative media ran with as if this was a real group that really was paying the U.S. Defense Secretary Chuck Hagel. Friends of Ham- This is like when Mitch McConnell fell for the satire that said prisoners at Guantanamo were getting GI Bill benefits. He wrote to the, he wrote, Senator Mitch McConnell wrote to the Pentagon for clarification on this very troubling report about Guantanamo prisoners getting GI Bill. It was a very troubling report. It had been written by a comedian because it's funny. They didn't think it was funny. They think it's news. And now we've got a new one. President Obama this weekend made his formal announcement that his nominee to succeed Attorney General Eric Holder is federal prosecutor Loretta Lynch uh, from New York. The day that President Obama made that announcement uh, at the White House, conservative media posted a very exciting and somewhat damning new exclusive scoop about Loretta Lynch. Quote, there is one case Lynch was involved in that few are talking about. See, sure, the lamestream media doesn't want you talking about this. But that's why we have the brave conservative media to dig this stuff out and tell America the hard truths that the lamestream media... Quote, Loretta Lynch was part of President Clinton's whitewater defense team in 1992. That's
13: what they don't want to
14: talk about. She's part of a Clinton scandal. Sure, nobody really remembers what that scandal was, because it was never quite clear what the scandalous behavior was, but it definitely was scandal-ish. And she was right in the middle of it, and the mainstream media will not tell you that. They're covering it up. They published that on Saturday. Then on Sunday, they published a follow-up story. Basically, hey, this Whitewater scandal thing about Loretta Lynch is a really big deal. Quote, the connection to Whitewater ought to provide additional fodder for Republicans during Loretta Lynch's confirmation hearings. Why won't the lamestream media tell the truth? The ugly, ugly truth about Loretta Lynch being a lawyer for the Clintons in the
3: Whitewater scandal.
14: The reason the lamestream media won't tell the truth about that is because the Loretta Lynch, who was just nominated to be Attorney General, she was not a lawyer involved in the Whitewater scandal. It was a whole different Loretta Lynch. It was the nice lady on the left who has absolutely nothing to do with the Attorney General nominee on the right, They're both named Loretta Lynch. So that led to lots of sad headlines today. Breitbart's attack on Obama Attorney General nominee goes after the wrong Loretta Lynch. Washington Post, Breitbart News attacked the wrong Loretta Lynch. So it used to be the wrong Bertha Lewis. (laughs) Now it's the wrong Loretta Lynch. Feeling's kind of the same though, isn't it? There was a whole new round of press hilarity over this today uh, when the outlet that was pursuing this line of attack, uh, the Breitbart News, uh, when they tried to save face by adding a correction to their story. See, I think they wanted to leave the story up because it was such a great scandal, but they knew they sort of had to correct it. So they, they left up the headline, Obama's Attorney General nominee Loretta Lynch represented Clinton's during Whitewater, but then brackets, corrected then they left the entire story intact about how President Obama's nominee to be the next Attorney General represented the Clintons in Whitewater. So they've got that headline, they've got the picture of her, they've got the whole story, you get all the way down to the end, and then you get to the italicized slight correction at the bottom. The Loretta Lynch identified earlier as the Whitewater attorney was, in fact, a different attorney. Still, though, great story, right? Right? Clearly, for a while, they thought that adding this correction to this would give them a way to keep the story up. Eventually, uh, they took it down off that website. Uh, but here's the important thing. It's still out there. Uh, the story's still up right now. A scandal! On uh, World Net Daily, one of my favorite conspiracy theory websites about the Obama administration. Uh, today I got my regular morning email asking for money so Republicans will impeach President Obama. This one is from uh, TeaParty.net. They have a clip from Fox News about how President Obama is going to be impeached. He may not have a strategy, but we do. Impeach Obama. Click here to donate. The list of scandals with corru- and corruption goes on and on within the Obama administration. Nixon was threatened with impeachment for less. Had enough? Click here to donate. Do you want to learn more about the terrible scandals of the Obama administration and why you should click here and donate money to us so we can get him impeached? What are those scandals? Look, look, Obama's Attorney General nomination, Loretta Lynch, represented Clinton's during Whitewater. It lives, it lives. There, There is a parallel universe in our politics where this is what the news looks like. And no matter how stuff gets corrected or laughed at or ridiculed or even occasionally ignored in the real media, on the right, this is what the news looks like, and this stuff never dies. We've got a lot going on of substance right now in American politics and American government. There's a war on, for one. Uh, President Obama wants to double the deployment of troops to Iraq. He wants to vote on funding and authorizing that mission before those extra troops go. The president also wants several billion dollars in funding for the fight against Ebola. We just learned tonight that the last U.S. patient with Ebola, Craig Spencer, he has recovered from the disease. He's going to be going home in New York City tomorrow. But pending in Washington right now is this big request for how the U.S. government is going to fight this, both at home and globally. The president just made this big dramatic announcement about net neutrality. As soon as he made his announcement, the Republicans basically declared war on net neutrality. And so apparently we're going to have a really big fight on that where the White House wants net neutrality and the Republicans don't. All the spending bills are coming up. So there's the basic work that needs to be done in Congress to keep the lights on, you know, to keep the federal government funded. That used to not be a controversial thing, but they sometimes have a hard time with that now. Oh, and now there's this matter of needing to confirm a new attorney general of the United States. Loretta Lynch, the nominee. Yes, that Loretta Lynch. She has come before the Senate twice before for confirmation as a federal prosecutor. There was not a single vote against her either of, times, either of the times she's been confirmed by the Senate in the past. But if you want to know why even the basic stuff can't get done, why even the easy stuff is impossible in Washington now, it's this parallel universe that we've got. I mean, conservatives have built themselves a very popular, very successful media landscape. That doesn't just tell conservatives things that they want to hear in terms of opinion. They just make stuff up. They make up news stories that aren't true. And when they get corrected in other places, they never disappear from the conservative media. And this is, not just now, but increasingly, what American conservatives consume as their news diet This is what they think news is. This is their information stream.
12: From Cleveland. I'm uh, trying to catch up. I'm a couple episodes behind. I was just listening to The Voice Now Left by uh, Peter down in Little Rock.
15: Hey, Jay, this is Peter Block. I'm calling from Little Rock, Arkansas. As my girlfriend's opinion, and she is a physician, and she feels like it is morally and ethically wrong for medical workers to strike because it puts patient well being at risk. And we both took an oath to do no harm. But I also wonder if in not striking, if we are trading the well-being of future patients for the well-being of present patients.
12: I'm going to give him my opinion. And again, Peter, this is coming from a union worker. Listeners to uh, my college radio show up here in Cleveland have dubbed me Professor Ditchdicker because I'm a union laborer, yet I always have a way to draw on history or solve most of our problems. And I'd like to point out, uh, you may remember a gentleman by the name of Jay Gould. Uh business tycoon, he famously said that he could hire one half of the poor to kill the other half. And the reason I make this point is essentially when you're not honoring someone else's strike and you go into work in that person's place, you are, in essence, knocking the knees out from underneath them. And I understand the Hippocratic Oath. I was also a paramedic in this life. That being said, the reason... Nurses and hospitals, paramedics on squads, and everyone have what they have as far as PPE, personal protective equipment, things like that, protocols, SOPs put in place. A lot of those are in, in place because of union contracts and union negotiations. Granted, OSHA controls everyone or the DOT controls paramedics, etc. The problem is entities, whether it be a city, or a private company that owns a hospital, insurance company, whatever have you, are going to cut costs wherever they can. And if you want to speak up and say that you don't feel that you're being protected enough in your job, they're giving you the cheap latex gloves that rip all the time, well, if you have a nurse's union or someone like that or all your brothers and sisters stand with you and say, yeah, this is bullshit, get us good stuff, not just the cheapest stuff, that's why you get it. The minute you go ahead and work in place of nurses who are striking, understand you're not just knocking the knees out from underneath them. You're potentially knocking the knees out from every nurse in the future who wants protections, who wants rights. I'm just telling you, Peter, it's my opinion. I'm not saying I'm right or wrong. Just do me a favor. Talk to some union people outside of the medical field and see what working... Like non union construction as opposed to union construction is like. If you want, contact Jay. I'm sure he will gladly send my email to any listeners who want to ask me my opinions. I'm an open book. Jay, I love the show, and I love what you do. Take care.
15: Jay, it's Aaron from Shelfawn, Pennsylvania. I just wanted to say that uh, I listened to your episode on street harassment. And having been a U.S. Marine, I've witnessed this not so much on the streets, but uh, in the barracks and uh, in uh, at the work sites or on base. And it's something that I never thought about before. And I really appreciate your episode because it brought something to light that I just never thought of as a problem. Obviously, it is, and so you know. Thank you for that. On a, a side note, I just wanted to say, uh, Semperfy Marine to uh, Wade, and thank him for his contributions, um, both to his country and to your podcast. I think he's quite a uh, valuable contributor. Thank you, Jay. I think you do a great job, and I love your podcast. Keep doing what you do.
6: Hey, Jay, it's Wade. Um, a couple months ago, you inspired me with one of your uh, climate shows, and I decided, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and do the switch to 100% renewable energy plan. And I did it. And um, if you would believe this, it was actually the cheapest plan available. I was, I was just shocked when it happened, or when she told me that. And sure enough, my electric electric bill has gone way down. And it's 100% renewable energy. I mean, who would have thought, right? And, um... I got to thinking that, you know, after listening to the show, it got me, I was, I was turning this around in my head. I was like, you know, it's got to be so much cheaper in the long run to do renewable energy because you don't have to get it. You know, the sun's not going to stop shining. Well, if it does, we're all dead anyway, so what's the matter? If the wind's not going to stop blowing. You know, you don't have to drill in and, and get something to, to, and then convert it to this other thing uh, to burn it in a car or a generator or whatever the case may be. And I think that's why if the price is going down. It can't cost as much to maintain a wind farm or a solar panel field or farm, whatever you call those things. It can't cost more to maintain those than to go drill for oil because oil is very labor intensive. I, I know. I used to work in the oil field. It takes a lot of people. So I'm thinking, well, renewable energy is going down. It's cheaper. And, and that's a, a message I think you should push more on. To, to get the conservatives to, to agree to this, you know, it's cheaper. There you go. I mean, I just heard a, I overheard an argument, uh, not an argument, a debate, a friendly debate between two young guys debating over which electric car was better. Right? I mean, who would have thought? Two young guys, they should be arguing, you know, Mustang or Camaro, but they're not. They're arguing which electric car is better because electric cars are cool and people like them. I mean, the Tesla looks badass to me. I'm thinking about buying one. You guys are winning the debate. You keep pushing on it. And that Bill Moyers clip, to me, that was checkmate for the opposition. I mean, you can't deny that. Yes, we will use what God gave us to put the energy of the earth out. How how remarkable is that? Uh, That was great. I think you guys have won the hearts and minds of people, and now it's a matter of... (laughs) Getting the government to stop being so corrupt. And I just cannot believe that the Democrats are now pushing Keystone XL. It just shows you the mammoth reach of the oil companies. It's just unbelievable. I just cannot believe that more people aren't aware of that story. But anyway, I just uh you know, basically want to say, Hey, you know, your show inspired me to switch renewable energy and hey, lo and behold, it was actually the cheapest plan available and uh and I live in Texas and um, that was I just wanted to share that with you have a good one then
0: Thanks for listening to everyone. Thanks to the volunteers who helped gather clips to make the show possible. Thanks to Katie Glabusek for all of her work on our social media outlets and activism segments. And thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you'd like to leave a comment or question of your own to be played on the show, the number to dial is 202-999-3991. So just a few things to leave you with today. Uh, first of all, of course, I was glad to hear, as I'm sure you were, the success that Wade has had switching over to renewable energy. That is excellent. And, uh, you know, I agree with him that we've clearly won that battle. It's just a matter of getting the policies in place. His timing was also excellent because I I just recently posted at bestofleft.com a link to the company that I believe I was probably talking about several months ago when he originally, you know, was inspired to to make the switch. So I, I posted this link because I've partnered with Ethical Electric and they service sort of the Northeast, Mid-Atlantic, even over into Illinois, so some some Midwest states. So if you are anywhere in that general vicinity, there's a chance that Ethical Electric uh, actually services your home or business. And you can go to ethicalelectriccom slash best. And again, that's linked up on my website. And you can sign up and have 100% wind power powering your home or business. Not only is that good for you and the environment, and it uh, it takes money away from coal companies, and then helps the show at the same time. It's like the best win-win-win of all time. Uh, Another update for you from my Thanksgiving holiday, I went up to the Boston area. That's where my girlfriend's family is. We were there hanging out for, uh, for the holiday festivities, and we actually went to Plymouth, where the pilgrims landed. This is like the Thanksgiving epicenter, right? And we went to, you know, we saw the rock. We took a tour of the uh, the replica Mayflower that they have there. And then we walked around the little town and we went up on a hill that sort of overlooks the bay. And there's this big statue of one of the famous uh, Native Americans there, Massasoit. And right next to him was this plaque. Describing a concept that I had never heard of before in my life, but was very uh, excited to be uh, informed about. And so I took a picture of this plaque, and now I will read it to you in full. The plaque reads, National Day of Mourning since 1970, Native Americans have gathered at noon on Coles Hill in Plymouth to commemorate a National Day of Mourning on the U.S. Thanksgiving holiday. Many Native Americans do not celebrate the arrival of the pilgrims and other European settlers. To them, Thanksgiving Day is a reminder of the genocide of millions of their people, the theft of their lands, and the relentless assault on their culture. Participants in National Day of Mourning honor Native ancestors and the struggles of native peoples to survive today. It is a day of remembrance and spiritual connection, as well as a protest of the racism and oppression which Native Americans continue to experience, erected by the town of Plymouth on behalf of the United American Indians of New England. So just something to think about there. Uh, I, I will admit that as this most recent Columbus Day came around. That this year happened to be the the first year that I was exposed to the, the concept of Indigenous Peoples Day. It's been around for a few years. It just hadn't crossed my consciousness. I didn't know about it. I learned about it this year. I was very excited about that. Uh, the National Day of Mourning uh, is definitely something to to keep in mind. <laughs> um, you know, it, it doesn't mean that we. Shouldn't continue to be thankful for all the normal things that we're thankful for on, on a holiday like Thanksgiving. But if we could all take the time to kind of lend some of our thoughts in this direction as well, I, I think it is more than warranted. Uh, and and then finally, as, as I uh, mentioned previously, my plan is to have an episode out on Ferguson at the end of this week if all goes well. So if you have anything to say about that, Please get your voicemails in. I would love to hear from you. A couple have come in already. They've been great. Uh, so if you have any messages about Ferguson, get those in now. The number again, 202- 999-3991. That is going to be it for today. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to those who support the show by becoming a member or making one-time donations, as that is absolutely how the program survives. Of course, everyone can support the show just by telling everyone you know about it, leaving glowing reviews on iTunes and Stitcher, and by donating your accounts at donateyouraccount.com slash left. Stay tuned into the show by joining up with us on Facebook and Twitter and for details on the show itself, including links to all of the sources and music used in this and every episode, all that information can always be found in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from inside the Beltway yet outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay and this has been the Best of the Left podcast coming to you every Tuesday and Friday thanks entirely to the members and donor to the show from Bestofleft.com.
2: And it's a crying shame How we get so trained